Christmas, one of my favorite times of year. Um, you know, some of you are aware of that. Now, I know it's not for some. I, I know Christmas is not is not a favorite time of year for some, uh, because some of you are just curmudgeons. You know, and you just think that you know being being uh, crabby and being is just the way to live. It's really not. You know, there's a much better way to live than that. Uh, and some of you think that it's spiritual not to like Christmas, you know, because it's all commercialized and things. And I know a pastor like that, and he, uh, you know, he he just he didn't like Christmas, and he complained about it and stuff. And um, but I said, you know, redeem the opportunity. What a great opportunity is there to be able to get a hold of people, to be able to talk to them, to be able to tell them about Jesus, that it's not just a baby in a manger. Uh, you know, so if, if maybe, you know, if your smoke screen is that Christmas is too commercialized, um, get rid of that and, and replace it with the reality of what it's about. You who know that reality have that opportunity to tell others. Um, uh, but some of you really, uh, you know, Christmas is not your favorite time of year because you have some genuine hurts. You have some real emotional pain um, that comes along this time of year. Uh, and I know that, and I hurt for you. It's not easy sometimes. Uh, life changes, and it brings about things that we didn't want. Uh, and our mind goes back, and some of those... Some of those uh, just cause pain and it's hard and I truly am sorry for that it's it's a tough time uh, I realize because I get excited about Christmas everyone does not today we're going to look at a passage that speaks to all of us I think no matter where we fall on that spectrum of feelings right now I think this passage is a great reminder as I was reading it studying it once again I uh, just encourage. Let's pray, and then we're going to turn to that passage. Father, thank you so much for the day you've given us. This day right now, this day today, is a day that you intended us to be here because here we are. It's a day and a time in which you have given us to be able to see you a little bit more clearly, and that's what we need. We need that time. We need that this is one of those opportunities to see you more clearly. As we look into your word, I pray that you would unfold it. The things you have shown me may be vastly different from what you want others to catch, and it just never ceases to amaze me what some people get as we go through a sermon because you have touched their hearts and you have prompted them in ways that I didn't even think of. I ask that you would do that again today. Your word is powerful, it's effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what scripture tells us, and that's the reality we've seen in our life. So now I ask that you would bring that about. You said your word would not return unto you void. It would not return empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you set it forth. And Father, again, we ask that you bring that about today. I pray that we would all be sensitive to you as we open your word, as we open our hearts. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Uh, Luke chapter 1, it's a familiar passage to us, uh, certainly. And um, it's even familiar to many who don't have a relationship with Christ. Many of the Christmas passages are. It's not just because of Charlie Brown Christmas, although that's part of it. Uh, it's also because we they, they see these, they hear these, they're put up sometimes even in stores. 
uh, sometimes the, you know it's, it could be used as a commercial venture, but still it's the word of God, and what a great thing. So Luke chapter one, drop down to verse twenty-six, and I'd encourage you again as we go through this to leave your Bible open there, and uh, you know if God prompts you to you know jot down a few things, uh, maybe you know maybe you know you, you should do that when uh, when Sharon Connolly passed away Don let me uh, look through her Bible and what a neat thing to look through there and see where she wrote down uh, different things and, and even a little frightening for me she wrote down different things that people had preached and, and put the pastor's name next to it um, just kind of a neat thing so anyway Luke chapter 1 verse 26 follow along it says in the sixth month The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. She has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Something familiar to us, but try to picture yourself as, you know, if you were there, as if this was happening to you. Uh, you know, the angel was sent by God, but Mary didn't know that when this began. We know it because we get to see it in the Word. Mary didn't know this when, when this whole thing began. She was minding her own business, as the impression were given. She was getting ready for her wedding, and that took a lot of preparation for them to be able to get ready for her wedding. They're what we would call the engagement. They call it a, be, a betrothal. And that's really a, a little more complica- complicated, a little more uh, uh, connecting than, than what we think of as an engagement. Uh, now, if you, um, you know, are engaged and you decide you don't want to get married, you just didn't say, I don't want to get married. You know, you may or may not give the ring back. Uh, that's a different sermon. But, you know, the, the whole picture here for them is it was much more binding during this betrothal period the woman was already referred to as this man's wife but during that year during this first year uh, she's while she was referred to as his wife she still lived at home with her parents and the, the marriage was not consummated during that year because at the end of that year then is when thing when the wedding would take place to be able to break this uh, this betrothal period took a legal divorce process you know during this time that's why joseph had said was looking to put aside mary was looking to divorce mary it was still their betrothal period but that was a legally binding commitment still now at the end of that year when it culminated it was a celebration a wedding celebration which was most often a week long 
Now, it was not a catered affair as we're used to. It was provided for by the family, and the family had, you know, it was something that the families worked on. If you remember when Jesus was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and his mother came to him and said they've run out of wine. And she wasn't just giving him information. What she was doing was bringing to him a situation that would have been a horrible cultural embarrassment for this family, for this couple, which I'm assuming they were connected to somehow because Jesus was at the wedding. Now, and again, you know, he didn't necessarily have to be connected to them because in their culture, the wedding celebration, it wasn't just the invited guests. Well, they had invited guests, but then there were those others. Why? Because this is a week-long celebration that took, took place in their town. And the whole town, really, was also joining in the celebration of the wedding. So for this couple, this, this family, to run out of the supplies would have been a terrible embarrassment for them. They had to continue living in that town. So Jesus, uh, uh, Mary comes to Jesus and you know tells him this this family would want to be ready and as much preparation as they tried they had a struggle you see so this was the celebration that Mary and Joseph were getting ready for not the wedding in Cana of Galilee but they were getting ready for a similar type wedding and it was during that year-long engagement while these preparations are going on that God sends an angel uh, to Mary now we're not always aware when God is speaking And when God makes a definite step into our lives, into our plans, into our schedules. Hebrews tells us, it says, Do not not neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels and guests without, angels as guests without knowing it. You see, if angels came, if, if angels came with wings, halos, and wearing long white robes, they would be easier to recognize. But that's not the case. You know, some, some, um, you may have seen in, in some churches, uh, of a, of a more excitable persuasion than us. And they talk about angels, you know, that they've seen angels and even have feathers appear, you know, in their services and stuff. I, I don't see a basis for that in the Word of God. What I see in the Word of God is that don't neglect to show hospitality. You know why? Because sometimes you're going to entertain angels and you're not going to know it. Because they're not coming to you with flappy wings and halos and and you know and, and all of this. You know, they they just would be much easier to recognize if they did. Now when the angels appeared to the shepherds, there we're told that it, they came in a very obvious way. It says there was a bright light shining around them and they had such a bold appearance that the shepherds were really quite frightened. I like the way the King James words, the King James says, you know, that that happened and they were sore afraid. Whenever I read that, I just think, you know, they were sore, so afraid that it hurt. You know, they were sore afraid. Uh, it, that, now these were men who didn't frighten easily. Shepherds did not, they just didn't frighten easily. They were used to facing down marauding animals who came and wanted to get at the sheep. And they were used to facing them down. If you remember when David uh, was going up against Goliath, uh, and as he was getting ready to do that, and he went to Saul, and Saul said, you know, dude, what, what's up with this? You're just a shepherd, you know, what, what makes you think you can do this? And he said, hey, look, I, you know, I faced down lions and bears, these things that tried to get to the sheep, you know, and, and I faced them. Down. They were not timid people. So when the angels came in this blaze of glory and the shepherds were, were frightened, you know, they, they were, that was quite a statement. 
But apparently angels don't always appear in such a bold fashion as they did to the shepherds. That's what it tells us in Hebrews. They don't always come with such a bold appearance. It seems that the one who came to Mary didn't come with quite the bold appearance. As I was looking at this, I was thinking it was just a reminder to me, you know, that God often works in our lives in less obvious ways, in less expected ways. You see, if we had to wait for this big flashing neon sign each time that God worked, it would be a lot easier for us. But, you know, I think we'd still miss it because sometimes, well, he does work in those really obvious ways and we still overlook it. But he also often comes, I think, in these less obvious ways. Because a life of faith means that we don't always have the tangible evidence to hold in our hands as recognizable as coming from God. You can't turn, you know, you can't turn it over and, and find, you know, from God on there. It doesn't, it just isn't, isn't as plain and obvious to us all the time. And I think what's going on here in Luke 1 is that the message that Mary got, that that got her attention, and that helped her recognize that this connection was with God. I think that's where she made the connection that this was God here. She, what she heard was right in line with Scripture, which she would have known. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child. And she, this was, this was a Scripture that they were aware of. This was a Scripture that was, you know, that was associated with, with the Messiah. And here, you know, you know, and, and she kind of is picturing, you know, and realizing some of this. And I think that Mary realized this. Look at verse at verse 38, what, what, what she says there, she said, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me what? According to your word. I don't think she means the angel's word here. I think she means God's word. That the angel was only communicating something here which, which was in line with God's word. It wasn't outside of what God had to say. You know, content is important. You know, content is very important. But if what you are hearing, if what you are hearing, if what you're seeing, if what you're in the midst of, if it is contrary to God's word, if it is contrary to God's character, and you will learn God's character in God's word, but if it is contrary to his word, if it's contrary to his character, then it is not from God. God is not going to contradict himself. God is not going to lead you in a way that is different than what is in his word. He is not going to lead you in a way that is in, is in opposition to his word. I've seen too many people that, that grab a hold of, of something and they go off with it and it's clearly against God's word. And they say this is from God. No, it's not. If it's not in line with God's word, then it's not from him. God's word needs the, needs that leading place in all of your living. Not just part of it. It needs to be there in all of your living. This is a good goal for you to work on. Some people set up, you know, new goals for the new year. I would encourage you not to wait to the new year. But this is a good goal for you to, to set up to work on. To give God's word a larger role in your decision making. Give God's word a larger role in your living. 
that it will more and more guide you. You are following someone or something. You are. You think, you, you think you're not, but you are. You are following someone or you are following something. You know, we are influenced by everything that's around us. We're influenced by the people we work with. We're influenced by the people we live around. We're influenced by the people we live with. We're influenced by society. All of these have an influence on you, and all of these things can bump you around if you allow that to happen. You are following someone. Why would you settle for less than God in his word? Why would you settle for less than the best? Why would you settle for less than God in his word? Your feelings are a real lousy substitute for God's word. They are a real lousy substitute for God's leading. How can I say, you know, that we follow God's word in this day and age? You know, how can we know... God works the same. You know, after all, we live in a different society. And again, we've heard these things before. You know, we live in a different society. That was good for them. It's not necessarily, you know, good for us. Doesn't necessarily apply to us. You know, the scenery and the, the, uh, you know, the surroundings, the accoutrements may be a little different. But the base challenges, the base choices remain the same. The base choices remain pretty consistent. You know, we begin to choose things because we want to. We begin to choose things because society is... What we need to realize is, is his word is, you know, is consistent. More importantly, God himself is consistent. He remains God. Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. James chapter 1, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Numbers 23, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not fulfill? God doesn't change his... He's not wondering about what should happen. Hebrews again, chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teaching. God's character, God's attributes, God's desires, God's plans have not changed. He didn't just start out at the beginning and then as things unfolded said, well, I didn't expect that, you know, and, and now what am I going to... He is not confused at all. He, he is consistent from what he said then to what he says now. Have circumstances changed? Sure, they have. But you know what? If you put God first, just like he said that you have no other gods before me, you know, it's just an amazing thing works out because he begins to lead you. His word is important. Joseph and Mary, they're in the midst of a very busy, busy time in their lives. They're preparing for a wedding, and ready or not, God steps in, rearranges things right now, right where they were. He steps in and he changes things. Notice the initial greeting seems to confuse Mary a little bit. Maybe she didn't think of herself uh, quite as a favored woman. Maybe she didn't think, you know, that she was worthy of the Lord being with her. Now, we tend to think of Mary as having great humility because God chose her to bear his son. But you know something? She also could have been very easily been a very headstrong woman who could take a lot. Because she would need to take a lot. She would need to be able to, to put up, you know, with what others said for the task that she was about to receive. Did you notice the angel's message? Do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. When the message you receive begins with don't be afraid, you can be sure that what follows will strike fear into your heart. Otherwise, there is no sense in telling you don't be afraid. You know, and so he starts out with this, you know, don't be afraid. Now those words to her, don't be afraid, it was for more than this moment. It was for more than that moment of conversing with the angel. In fact, I think it was even more for what was going to follow. For what was going to come. You know, Mary's, you know, her world was going to be coming apart here in a minute. She was going to need to remember those words more and more as the days, as the months, as the years rolled on. There would be the fear of having to tell Joseph about her pregnancy. There would be the fear of having to tell others. There would be the fear of being criticized. There would be the fear of being stoned to death because she was pregnant outside of wedlock. There would be the fear of having the king wanting to kill your child. The fear of raising the Son of God. The fear of watching him step out into a controversial ministry. You know, the fear of the growing resentment of the religious leaders towards your son. The, the fear when you hear that he was arrested. The fear that it would strike you as you saw him after he was flogged, after he was beaten, after he was, while he was carrying his cross. The fear of watching him die as a human spectacle. It was for more than that moment. Because fear is a constant threat, a constant challenge to our living for Christ. We need to grasp a hold of those words, do not fear. You follow God, you live according to his word, and as it says there, then you do not fear. The angel continues, you have found favor with God that might clear up her confusion about the initial greeting of, you know, greeting favored woman might clear that up a little bit. She was favored because she found favor with God. She determined to live her life to honor God. And because she determined to live her life to honor God, she was favored by God. You know, this is where the world often gets it backwards, even in Mary's day. The world might laugh at you. The world might scoff at you for following God. You know, you might be ridiculed, misunderstood, left out. Jesus said that his followers would face oppression. Jesus said his followers would even face persecution. But he said, but be of King James, good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, the, the world has it backwards, and he didn't want Mary to get it backwards. Mary heard from God. The world wouldn't believe that she heard from God. Even Joseph didn't believe her when she told him at first. And he had to have an angel come visit him and to, to calm his concerns. We can end up responding according to the values of our society and even hesitate or even set aside what God says. When we're faced with a challenge, when we're faced with a struggle, and we can very easily then begin to set aside what God says. We need to be more concerned about God's opinion of us than we are with the world's opinion of us. Mary had to know, do not fear. And the world's opinion was going to push her away. And she needed to understand that we needed to be, she needed to be more concerned about God's opinion than the world's opinion. Don't get that backwards. It's too easy for us to get that backwards. 
and we begin to worry about what our, what our friends or family or what others are going to think about us. I remember that one of the things that I thought about when I, when I was faced with this whole uh, reality that I didn't have a relationship with Christ, that I didn't have that relationship. And one of the things that I thought of at that time, one of the things I thought was, I'm not going to have any friends. You know, we can have that fear, you know, because we're going to be rejected in things and we can give in to that. Be more concerned about God's opinion, though, than the opinions of others. As Mary heard the message, you know, it may have first seemed like a cruel joke. How could this be the result of finding favor? How could a situation like this be the result of finding favor? But it soon, I think, became very clear to her. Her child wasn't any ordinary child. Look at the angel's description. It says that you will give him the name Jesus. That meant something to them. You know, that was the same thing as the Hebrew Joshua. Which, which means, you know, Jehovah is salvation. This was something you know, to begin to hear these words, to begin to hear these phrases that unfold to her. Give him the name Jesus. And then it says, he will be great. Who doesn't want their kid to be great? I mean, everybody, you know, the, the little baby, you know, he had this little baby. And what are we thinking? You know, they can be great. He goes on and says, he will be called the son of the most high. Now, that would give you pause. I mean, that would, that, would, that would give you a little bit of pause. It says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, clearly stepping into the area of the expected Messiah. All of these names are just taking her deeper into this. It says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, the supreme ruler over Israel. What were you saying? And he will reign forevermore. And, you know, here's the whole, the whole picture of there. And it says, his kingdom will have no end. It will be eternal. This was no ordinary child that Mary was going to be carrying. And as she heard these things unfold, yeah, I, I think is you know that she was a bit stunned. It's it's you know we can sometimes be stunned by what God is doing, stunned in a good way, stunned in, in a good way if we pay attention, if we listen to Him, if we see what He is doing all around us, if we begin to open our eyes and see what He's doing. Now there are clearly things that only God can do. Only God can change a heart. He is the only one that can do that. He is the only one that can cause someone to come to him for salvation. That's what it tells us in Scripture. He is the only one that can cleanse us from sin. He is the only one that can make us righteous. But we may have a role. We do have a role in that process. And he calls us to that. And here... He calls Mary to it. Now, God does the heavy lifting. God does all the, you know, what makes it real. God's the one who brings about that change in life, but he calls us. He calls us to, to be able to bring people and help people to see these things. Mary is floored. She asks, how could this be? Because she knew, humanly speaking, this couldn't happen. I've never been intimate with a man. This Humanly speaking, this can't happen. I, I, I don't understand, she said. Look at the answer in verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Theologians still debate what it means that the Holy Spirit came upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. You know, they, they still debate you know, how this actually happened. But what is very clear, God would do it. That's what's very clear. What's very clear there is that God would do it. God would see that this happened. 
This wasn't something that was going to slip by. God was going to see that it happened. God was going to see that it came about. He would step in and he would do everything that was needed to make this a reality. That's the meaning behind verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Why? Because God was going to see to it. God is not limited by our abilities. God is not limited by our misunderstandings. God is not limited, you know, by, by our weak faith. God is not limited, you know, by anything. God is not simply hoping things will work out. Nothing is impossible with God. He will work to make things happen. Things impossible by the very best of human efforts. God is ready. And God is able. Even when we're not. Even when we are not ready, even when we've given the best of our efforts, the best of our abilities, and that doesn't come about, God is still ready and able, even when we're not. Now, Mary's response here is really, it is really stunning. She doesn't understand everything she's been told. How in the world could she? You know, she is clearly not ready for all that. How can you ever be ready for something like this? How can you ever be ready for something like this? You see, we're not always ready But God always is. God always is ready, even though we're not. How could you ever be ready for something like this? But here's the thing. She was willing to follow God. Even though she wasn't ready, she was still willing to follow God. Notice what she says. May it be done to me according to your word. No better outcome for you than to live your life according to God's word. There is absolutely no better outcome for your life than to be able to say that it was lived out according to God's word. Now, with all that's going on in this event here, there's one phrase in particular I don't want you to miss. And to me, as I was looking through this and reading this again, and I was thinking this week, how many times have I preached on this passage in here? Why don't I see some of these things before? But I think it makes all the difference. It's It's at the end of verse 28. Notice what it says. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. And here it is. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I think that is what made Mary able to say, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. I don't get it all, Lord, but if you're going to be with me. I don't understand it. I don't feel capable. But if you're going to be with me. Isn't that one of the main messages of Christmas? That the Lord is with you right here, right now? Isaiah, again, you know, 714 was quoted in, in Matthew 123. He says, see, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will name him what? Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. No matter what you are facing, the Lord is with you. Sometimes it will be hard, impossibly hard. But the Lord is with you. And nothing will be impossible with God. This is what it tells us here. The Lord is with you. And that's what makes the difference. That's what gives us the strength. That's what gives us the guidance, the direction we need. That's why we can say, do not fear. Because the Lord is with you. 
The Lord is with you. Knowing we are following God and simply not reacting to circumstances. The Lord is with you right here, right now. You need to know that. In all you face right now, in all you're going to face, in all the uncertainty as you're looking forward and wondering, how is this ever going to turn out? You understand when you live according to God's word, when you follow him, and realizing you put forth your effort, but you know what? Nothing is impossible with God. And he is the one who is leading. So do not fear. The Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the reality of who you are. Thank you that you do not leave us on our own, but you are indeed with us. Continue to remind us. Continue to guide us. Continue to open our eyes to see you more fully, more completely, in this season and in every season to come. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.